Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping. Returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull & Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull & Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code BEN at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull & Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code BEN. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. The Jussie Smollett hoax reaches its natural termination. President Trump's wall is still divisive and Democrats celebrate losing jobs in New York City. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Well, happy President's Day to all those people who are off work today. We are not. We are here with you each and every day through rain, through sleet, through snow, through hail. We, we, we're here. Okay, whatever. So we'll get to all the news in just one second. First, let's talk about how you can protect your online information. Admit it, you think cybercrime is something that happens to other people. You may think that nobody wants your data or that hackers can't grab your passwords or credit card details. You are wrong. Stealing data from unsuspecting people on public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest and cheapest ways for hackers to make money. This happened to me like a month ago. When you leave your internet connection unencrypted, you might as well be writing your passwords and credit card numbers on a huge billboard for the rest of the world to see. That's why I've decided to take action to protect myself from cyber criminals. I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps. They run seamlessly in the background of your computer, phone, and tablet. All you have to do is turn it on. Turn on that ExpressVPN protection. It only takes one click. Using ExpressVPN, I can safely surf on public Wi-Fi without being snooped on or having my personal data stolen. For less than seven bucks per month, you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I have. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Ben. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Ben for three months free with a one-year package. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash Ben to learn more. Go check them out and keep your online information safe. All righty. So over the weekend, the Jussie Smollett hoax turned out to have been dun, 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 a hoax. Everybody knew it was a hoax from the very beginning. Everybody with half a brain was incredulous about the story, which again, made no sense. Jesse Smollett and Actron Empire claimed that he had received a bunch of threats and that then at two o'clock in the morning in Chicago, in the middle of a polar vortex, he went over to a subway to buy a sandwich. And on the way back, he was accosted by two gentlemen who were supposedly wearing MAGA hats. Some of the reports said they were wearing MAGA hats. And they wound a rope around his neck, poured bleach on him and shouted, this is MAGA country. Again, remember at 2 a.m. in the middle of Chicago, in the middle of a polar vortex. And they also shouted at him the N-word and the F-word and recognized him from Empire because that's huge with the Trump folks. Empire, they love that show. It's like number one in that demo. So th there were a few things that were suspicious about the story. One, the entire story. Two, the guy still had his Subway sandwich when he got up. To go. And again, he'd, he'd be the best Subway spokesman of all time. You know how much I love this Subway sandwich? Two guys come out of the shadows, kick the crap out of you. Then he just keeps walking. I held on to this. He then walked into his apartment right past the guard and then spent 40 minutes doing nothing, then called the police. When they showed up, he still had the rope around his neck and refused to turn over his phone. 
to the police. So none of this held together from the very beginning. Everyone was sort of suspicious, but you didn't want to be the guy to say, listen, seems like a hoax. You said instead, I got some questions, right? If, if you were if you were a smart person, the first thing you did was say, yeah, this, this sounds a little fishy. Like maybe it happened just the way he said it did, but sounds a little fishy. Well, now it turns out it was not just a little fishy. It was the entire Mediterranean Sea fishy. According to CBS News, the two Nigerian brothers arrested in connection with the assault on Empire actor Jussie Smollett are no longer suspects in the attack. They're now cooperating with police. A source close to the investigation confirms to CBS News that the brothers told detectives that Smollett paid them to participate in the alleged attack on January 29th and that they purchased the rope, which was found around Smollett's neck at a nearby, a nearby hardware store. The source said detectives have evidence to corroborate the sale, something the men's attorney alluded to on Friday night. New evidence that was brought to their attention, obviously I had it, my clients had it, said Gloria Schmidt, the brother's attorney. The Chicago Police Department released a statement on Saturday night saying information from the brothers had shifted the trajectory of the investigation. Now, here's the truth. The CPD has known for weeks that this was probably fake. They've known for weeks that these brothers were probably being paid by Jesse Smollett. They were not releasing it. They were slow playing it. That is the, the rumor and decent information from inside CPD. Nonetheless, CPD finally coming forth and acknowledging what everybody else knew. We can confirm that the information received from the individuals questioned by police earlier in the Empire case has in fact shifted the trajectory of the investigation. We've reached out to the Empire cast member's attorney to request a follow-up interview. Smollett's attorneys, Todd Pugh and Victor Henderson, issued a statement late Saturday saying Smollett was angered and devastated by reports that he knew the people associated with the alleged attack. One of these purported suspects was Jussie's personal trainer, who he hired to ready him physically for a music video. It is impossible to believe that this person could have played a role in the crime against Jussie or had falsely claimed Jussie's complicity, the statement said, except that's exactly what CPD is saying. The attorney said the actor would continue to cooperate with authorities as the investigation continues. He may be cooperating from inside a jail cell because it is in fact a crime to lie to police. They've wasted hundreds of man hours, hundreds of thousands, I'm sure, of taxpayer dollars in the city of Chicago over this nonsense. The term in jail would be up to three years. At the present time, Jussie and his attorneys have no inclination to respond to unnamed sources inside of the investigation, but will continue discussions through official channels, the statement said. Police said that the two men, identified as Ola and Abel Asundero, were captured on surveillance video at the time that Smollett said he was attacked. Ola Asundero is connected to Smollett through the hit show Empire, where he plays a prisoner in season two. Both brothers apparently left Chicago the day of the alleged attack and were detained when they returned on Wednesday. Chicago detectives tore through their apartment looking for clues, and an evidence log shows they found ropes, masks, and bleach. Whoa. They were released Friday night without charges because now they're working with the cops. A Chicago Police Department spokesman said detectives have additional investigative work to complete. The best part of this story is that apparently some of the reports suggest that the two brothers, bought, they went and they bought red hats, but you can't find a MAGA hat anywhere in the city limits of Chicago. So they went to a local beauty store, I kid you not, called the Crafty Beaver. I'm not kidding you. They went there and then they bought two red hats, just like generic red hats, because <laughs> there's no MAGA hats in Chicago, even though it was MAGA country. In a recent interview with Good Morning America, Smollett said he was sure that the men in the photo were his attackers. He said, there's, there's a guy who came up to him. This is MAGA country, N-word, punches me right in the face. So I punched his ass back. I think what people need to hear is just the truth. Well, yeah. And then Jesse Smollett came forward and he said, on Good Morning America, again, this was Thursday morning. All of this began to break Thursday afternoon. So this story held up for approximately the length of a squirrel's attention span. And Jesse Smollett on GMA said, you know, the reason people are angry at me, the reason people come hard at me, the reason for it, well, of course, it's because I don't like Trump. And you know, in America, you can't, you can't dislike Trump. You know, being, being anti-Trump in America, that's very unpopular. 
except for how the entire media are anti-Trump and celebrate everything that any anti-Trump person says. We'll get to that in just a second. Here is Jesse Smollett lying on Good Morning America to the cheering throngs of Good Morning America's producers and anchors. Why do you think you were targeted? I can just assume, I mean, I come really, really hard against 45. I come really, really hard against his administration. And I don't hold my tongue. Oh, he's such a rebel. He's a rebel. So brave. So much bravery. My goodness, Jesse Smollett. American hero. Wow. And the media treated him that way. You'll remember that there was a man named Cory Booker, Spartacus. And you'll recall that he tweeted this out the day that the report broke. The vicious attack on actor Jesse Smollett was an attempted modern day lynching. I'm glad he's safe. Well, it turns out he sort of paid someone to lynch him, but there's that. He said, to those in Congress who don't feel the urgency to pass our anti-lynching bill designating lynching as a federal hate crime, I urge you to pay attention. It was a vicious, brutal attack staged by Jesse Smollett and his friends. So that was awkward. Then Cory Booker was asked over the weekend about, um, remember that time when you said that Jesse Smollett was lynched and you said it was a vicious, brutal hate crime and then it turned out that that guy paid his friends to do it because he knew that suckers like you would buy it? And Cory Booker was like, you know what? Facts don't matter. The only thing that matters is the narrative. The narrative matters. Well, the information is still coming out, and I'm going to withhold until all the information actually comes out from on-the-record sources. Um, we know in America that uh, bigoted and biased attacks are on the rise in a serious way. What we're seeing is attacks on people because they're different, and we all need to join together and condemn those attacks. Oh, so he's going to wait for all the information to come out, not like he did before when he just sort of declared that it was true, and also... Just because this was a hoax doesn't mean that there isn't a rise in hate crimes. It's the narrative that's important. See, you got to love it when you have a completely disprovable thesis, non-disprovable thesis, when you have a non-falsifiable thesis that is put out by the left. So if a, an actual crime occurs in which a black man is grabbed around the neck with a rope, poured bleach upon, and then people shout at him about Trump, then this is evidence that Trump's America is evil. And if it turns out that was a hoax, that's also proof that Trump's America is evil because where else would even such a story be believable? Where else would even such a story be believable? So you, you gotta love these folks who are now suggesting that, you know, we're gonna wait for all the facts. Gotta be cautious. Gotta be cautious now that CPD has said that it's true. We're gotta be cautious. Before we jumped the gun and we were ready to go in whatever direction back the narrative. Here's the reason Jesse Smollett lied about this. Here's the reason Jesse Smollett did this. The reason he did it is because he knew there was a waiting and ready cadre of humans who are ready to parrot any story that suggested that Trump supporters were a bunch of racist rednecks roaming major cities in search of black people to hurt. That is why this story went viral in the first place. Jesse Smollett himself said it, by the way, on Good Morning America. He said, if I were attacked by black people, nobody would cover this story. That is correct. That is absolutely correct. You know why that is correct? Because the media have no interest in black people victimizing other black people. In fact, the media have no interest in people of any ethnicity other than white supremacists victimizing Jews. In other words, there are a set of narratives that the media are invested in and that politicians are invested in. And if a story fits neatly into that narrative, then it becomes a major front page issue. And if it does not, then we don't pay any attention to it at all. At all. The media have a narrative that they want to, that they want to promulgate, that they want to push. And so if there is a story perfectly tailored to that narrative, they are more likely to jump on it. Now, a rational person would say, knowing their own bias, knowing that they want their narrative to be supported, a rational person who tries his best would say, if a story comes out that seems too good to be true, that's probably because it is. If a story comes out 
that backs your narrative to the point where every single aspect of the story seems tailored to your narrative, probably it was tailored to your narrative. If somebody comes to you, if somebody came to me and they said, I have a story, you know, as I run, I run a website, I have a story. And the story is that Barack Obama was wandering around on the street when he suddenly saw a rich person grab that guy's wallet, ran the other way and started redistributing his cash to his cronies in Washington. You see, I'd be like, I don't believe that story because that story seems too metaphorical to be real. Because if the story fits your narrative, I meant, obviously the metaphor being that Barack Obama was a redistributionist who wanted to grab other people's money. If the story fits your narrative so well that it seems every detail is tailored for your narrative, well then, it probably is not true. It probably is not true. Real life does not work that way. Sometimes stories do fit that. And when they do, then we ought to wait for those stories to be verified because the facts will out. But the media didn't do that in this case. And you'll see the media defend themselves in just a second. It's really, really absurd. The media jumped on this because the media have the same disposition as Cory Booker. They have the same exact disposition because Cory Booker, members of the media, they think exactly the same way. Members of the media are Democrats. Cory Booker is a Democrat. Their stories that America is a terrible, horrible, racist place filled with evil, racist deplorables who are going around on the street beating up black people and throwing ropes around their neck. None of that is true. But again, the Jesse Smollett story gave them a peg to put their narrative hat upon. We'll get to that in just one second. First, there are a lot of things in life that aren't right. Carpet and showers, eating dip with your fingers, paying too much for your phone bill. That's not right. But thanks to Mint Mobile, you don't have to overpay for wireless anymore. They reimagined the wireless shopping experience. They've made it easy and online only, which means they can pass significant savings directly to you. For a limited time, they're offering two months for free when you buy your first month. That is 20 bucks total for three months of wireless. It really is a no-brainer. You'd save a bunch of money. The amazing deal is only here for a limited time. 20 bucks total gets you three months of wireless service with eight gigabytes of 4G LTE data each month, plus unlimited nationwide talk and text. Use your own phone along with any Mint Mobile plan. You can keep your old phone number along with all your existing contacts. Mint Mobile runs on the nation's fastest, most advanced LTE network. If you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Take advantage of Mint Mobile's amazing deal before it's gone. Pay just 20 bucks for your first month of wireless. Get another two months for free by going to mintmobile.com slash Ben. That is mintmobile.com slash Ben to get three months of premium wireless service for just 20 bucks. Mintmobile.com slash Ben. Okay, so the media come out and decide to defend their coverage of the Jussie Smollett case. It's indefensible. It is indefensible. Okay, the Jussie Smollett case was covered by the media as fact from the first day it was reported. There were a bunch of journalists who jumped the gun, but that's not, again, none of that matters. You remember when AOC said a few weeks back that people are too focused in on the facts? They should really focus in on the moral truth. It's the moral truth that matters. Stop focusing in on things like whether things are true or not. Focus in on the morality of things. Don't bother with the facts. Focus in on the morality. Members of the media did this. After this came out as a hoax, members of the media still defending their coverage by saying, well, you know, the overall narrative, which is that things suck in America, that narrative is still true. It's the same thing they did with the Michael Brown shooting. You remember Michael Brown shot in Ferguson, Missouri. The lie went out that Michael Brown was approaching the police officers and raising his arms and saying, hands up, don't shoot. And then it turned out all of that was a lie. It didn't matter. The entire media ran with it because it pushed the narrative that our police forces across America were racist, even though there was nothing racist about the shooting. And in fact, Michael Brown was justifiably shot. Liz Plank on CNN did exactly this. She's an editor over at Vox.com or a writer over at Vox.com. She said, listen, just because it's a hoax doesn't mean it's not real. 
I think it's important to cover this story. I also think it's important to cover the other several stories of hate crimes. Not to say that this was a story of a hate crime, but that there are real uh, hate crimes that happen in this country. And there is an increase in them against black people, against LGBTQ people, against Muslims. And the fact that one robbery was fake does not mean that robbery is not a problem. The fact that there is one false rape accusation does not mean that there's no rape. We have to cover these issues as trends and as patterns and not fall into the trap that because one story is not real, that the problem is not real. Okay, first of all, we're going to have to establish that there is, in fact, a trend of rise in hate crimes. For example, the ADL tried to release a report earlier this year saying there was a radical rise in anti-Jewish hate crimes. It turned out that report was deeply flawed. We are trying to establish the data. What's funny is that on that same panel, there was a host for a podcast called The Fifth Column, Black Guy, and he was saying, we are still trying to actually, we're still trying to establish whether these fact patterns exist. But Liz Plank, then turned back to him and said, what do you know about hate crimes? I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. The media have a narrative. America's filled with hate crimes because America's hateful. I also love how she lists out the groups who have been victimized by hate crimes. She says, you know, we have to worry about increase of hate crimes against blacks and against Muslims and against LGBT people. I'll get to the actual stats on hate crimes in just a second, because it turns out there is one group of people who have been increasingly victimized by hate crimes, and it is none of those groups. It is none of those. I mean, those groups may have an increase. The major increase is not occurring among those groups. I'll explain where the major increase is occurring in just one second. But again, this backs a media narrative. The media narrative is that Jussie Smollett should have been covered exactly the way he was covered, that we on the right exaggerate how bad the media was in this case. First of all, the media were awful in this case. And Brian Stelter claims this wasn't about the media. Brian Stelter on CNN of reliable sources. He says, this story was not about the media botching it. The story was weaponized by the right. So, of course, the, the left having been shown to be completely terrible at their jobs. The members of the media who are on the left who jumped the gun on this one, like two weeks after they jumped the gun on Covington High School, they say the real story here is Republicans pouncing, that the story was weaponized. Here's Brian Stelter on reliable sources. Remember, he's supposed to be sort of the journalistic ombudsman of CNN, calling to account journalistic, uh, journalistic crappiness. Instead, he says, no, 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 we all did a great job. The real problem is weaponization. Republicans pouncing. It's always pouncing. As I've pointed out over the last six weeks, whenever there's an increase in Republicans pounce stories, it means the media are not doing their jobs. It means the left are terrible at their jobs. That's why Republicans are reacting. The reaction of Republicans is never a story. It's never an actual story. The actual story is the media screwing it up. But here's Brian Stelter defending the media and then saying the real problem here are the folks on the right. Strong, high quality news organizations have tried to be very careful all along on this story. But because TMZ said just a few hours after the alleged attack, that this was a Trump supporter attack and had political connotations. Like I said, it became partisan from day one. And when you're looking at those random websites all over the world, spreading information, you can, you can end up, uh, I think, having the, this story was able to be uh, weaponized in many different ways. But at its heart, it is still a mystery. Okay, it, it, it was weaponized in many different ways. The right was weaponizing the story. Okay, let's, let's go through how the media actually covered this thing from the beginning, because now we are getting gaslit. Now the media covered this thing uncritically, and now they want to tell us, no, 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 we are very careful in our coverage. Here is a montage of members of the media reporting this story. Suffice it to say, they were not critical in their coverage of this story. Empire star Jesse Smollett was the victim of a vicious, racist, and homophobic attack. His attackers hurled racial and homophobic slurs. Two people yelled racist and homophobic slurs. Racial and homophobic slurs. Not only homophobia, we're talking about racism. 
We're talking Al about Sharpton. hate with steroids. They are looking for two suspects who were apparently wearing Make America Great Again hats. MSNBC. The offenders uttered, this is MAGA country. CNN. Absolutely despicable. This is horrible to report. This is a horrible story. Ali, this is a horrible story. Yeah. I mean, the circumstances wow. is just horrific. Horrendous and unacceptable. Mm. This is America in 2019. Okay, it's courtesy of Grabian, and that would be Brooke Baldwin on CNN saying this is America in 2019. You know what America is in 2019? The media uncritically reporting a completely implausible story, and then when caught in their own garbage coverage, immediately turning around and saying, no, no, we didn't do anything wrong. It's that the white, the, the, the right people, the, the people on the right, they keep weaponizing this thing. They keep pouncing. Caleb Howe has a great piece over at Mediaite pointing out Newsweek writers, the senior reporter at the Daily Beast, Kevin Fallon, we're talking about writer for Boing Boing, writer at Philadelphia Magazine, Vibe Magazine, producers for Nightline on ABC, contributor to Forbes and Slate, an editor at the LA Times, a BuzzFeed writer, a Reuters reporter, writers for Teen Vogue and Washington Post, freelance contributors for Cosmopolitan, senior writers at Rolling Stone, AP, NBC News writer and producer, Huff Post writer, editor at Washington Post, Vanity Fair. So we're supposed to believe that the media didn't jump on the story? Of course they jumped on the story. Of course they did. It supported their narrative. Not only did they jump on the story, so did the entire left, because the media and the left wanted this story to be true. They desperately wanted the story to be true. And so funny, folks on the left will say things like, the entire right bought into Pizzagate, or the entire right bought into the Barack Obama birtherism hoax. First of all, that is not true. But the entire left, or at least huge swaths of the left, bought fully into not only the Jussie Smollett story, but into the narrative that was President Trump's fault. So Ellen Page went on TV with Stephen Colbert, and she suggested it was Mike Pence's fault that a crime that never happened actually happened. Is she going to walk this back? This thing has 20 million views. 20 million views. Ellen Page, last relevant when she was playing the the dull person in Inception, now she is coming forth and saying that it was Mike Pence. This thing has 20 million views. When does she walk this back? When is she held accountable for this lie? Never. The vice president of America wishes I didn't have the love with my wife. He has hurt LGBTQ people so badly as the government of Indiana. And I think the thing we need to know, and I hope my show Gaycation did this in terms of connecting the dots, in terms of what happened the other day to Jesse. I don't know him personally. I saw I sent all of my love. If you are in a position of power and you hate people and you want to cause suffering to them, you go through the trouble. You spend your career trying to cause suffering. What do you think is going to happen? Kids are going to be abused and they're going to kill themselves and people are going to be beaten on the street. Okay, she's just it's just I'm sorry. This is disgusting. You're taking a fake crime and you're pinning it on Mike Pence and then you're blaming Mike Pence for problems across the country for which Mike Pence has no responsibility. And people are uncritically cheering you because this is the world in which fake information can travel quickly. You hear about fake news all the time from the media. Oh, the scourge of fake news, the scourge of false narrative. And President Trump complains the media are complicit in fake news and false narrative. You know why this is the case? The reason this is the case is because human beings have a natural tendency to believe stories that back their play. And right now, people have narratives about America that are not true on a lot of different sides, and they're willing to believe stories that back those narratives, no matter how untrue they are. There's a fascinating piece in the Washington Post today by a person named Nana Efua Mumford, who's executive assistant to the Washington Post editorial board. The title of the piece is, I Doubted Jussie Smollett. It breaks my heart that I might be right. Why would it break your heart when it turns out that a hate crime is false? That should make you happy. It means that a hate crime did not occur. Why does it break your heart when it turns out that accusations that America is deeply racist and homophobic are not backed by an implausible story? Shouldn't that make you happy? Like if it turned out that somebody accused somebody 
of an anti-Jewish hate crime, and it turned out not to be true, I'd be like, great, because America's not an anti-Semitic country. But for folks on the left, if the story backs their play and it turns out the story is false, that's really bad because then it doesn't back their play. I'll tell you what this columnist has to say in just one second. First, let's talk about that credit card debt you've been racking up. For decades, credit cards have been telling us to buy it now and pay for it later with interest. Despite your best intentions, that interest can get out of control incredibly quickly. With Lending Club, you can consolidate your debt or pay off credit cards with one fixed monthly payment. Since 2007, Lending Club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed rate personal loans. No trips to a bank, no high interest credit cards. Just go to LendingClub.com. Tell them about yourself and how much you want to borrow. Pick the terms that are right for you. And if you are approved, your loan is automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. Lending Club is the number one peer-to-peer lending platform with over $35 billion in loans issued. Go to LendingClub.com slash Ben. Just check your rate in minutes and borrow up to 40 grand. That is LendingClub.com slash Ben. Once again, LendingClub.com slash Ben. All loans made by WebBank member FDIC equal housing lender. You really shouldn't be sitting there allowing those credit card bills to rack up interest charges. Instead, go be responsible, consolidate that debt, and make sure that you can pay it off with Lending Club. Again, they allow you to pay off all this stuff with one fixed monthly payment. Go to LendingClub.com slash Ben. Check your rate in minutes. Borrow up to 40 grand. That is LendingClub.com slash Ben. All right, so this columnist at the Washington Post suggests that it is actually, she, she's actually very sad that the Jussie Smollett story turned out not to be true. Why exactly is she sad? She's sad because Maybe it means that Americans won't be as sensitive to hoax stories. The fact that the entire country took this stupid story seriously in the first place demonstrates how sensitive we are, by the way, to stories like this. But here's what this columnist writes. Quote, perhaps I don't want to believe Smollett because this is a stark and scary reminder of the poor condition of the country that I call home. Maybe this story makes the boogeyman of my nightmares all too real, too close and too calculating. Maybe it's because while I consider myself an ally to the LGBTQ community, I still don't understand and appreciate the daily harassment that they endure. Or maybe even though I'm a black woman, I still don't know what it's like to be a black man in America. She says, if Smollett's story is found to be untrue, it will cause irreparable damage to the communities most affected. Oh, as opposed to if it were true, then we would be able to slander the entire white community in America and the Trump supporting community in America as a bunch of racist bigots. Then that would be good because they are racist bigots. But since it turns out to be false, we can't slander a bunch of people anymore. So that's really bad. She says, Smollett would be the first example skeptics cite when they say we should be dubious of victims who step forward to share their experience of racist hate crimes or sexual violence. The incident would be touted as proof that there is a leftist conspiracy to cast Trump supporters as violent, murderous racists. It would be the very embodiment of fake news. Well, there is, in fact, a widespread tendency on the left to cast Trump supporters as violent, murderous racists. That tendency does exist. At the very least, the tendency to call Trump supporters bigots, that's a mainstream tendency. If not violent and murderous, certainly bigots. And she says, that reason more than any other is why I need this story to be true, despite its ugliness and despite what it would say about the danger of the world I live in. The damage done would be too deep and long lasting. So in other words, in, in order for it, it, one of two things has to happen. Either she has to either she has to recognize that the story is false and maybe her preconceptions about America as an evil country are false or the story can be true and that can reinforce her narrative beliefs. And she'd prefer that a black man was beaten on the streets of Chicago by two MAGA-hatted racists so that she can think America's a bad place, then that, that turned out to not to be true. If, you're, if your belief in the world relies on people being beaten in the streets, let me suggest, and you feel better when people are beaten in the streets because it backs your worldview, let me suggest you need to change your view of the world. If you are happy when a, when a story of a federal hate crime turns out to be true, something is deeply wrong. Something is deeply wrong. Especially because what that suggests is that people on the other side of the aisle are somehow 
are somehow going to shy away from actual hate crimes. We all took hate crimes seriously. Everybody, even people who were skeptical of Jussie Smollett, kept saying, if this turns out to be true. They said, we have questions, but if this turns out to be true. Again, what the left wants you to believe is that there are a lot of people on the right who don't take hate crime seriously, and now they definitely won't take hate crime seriously because of Jussie Smollett. No, no rational human being should treat outlandish claims as seriously as they would treat serious claims in the first place. Now, I want to talk for a second about hate crimes themselves because there was a real hate crime that took place over the weekend in New York, and no one gives a crap. The reason no one gives a crap is because it's against a Jew and it wasn't done by a white supremacist. According to NBC New York, a window of a Brooklyn synagogue was smashed on the Sabbath while the rabbi and his family, including young children, were inside. A large plate glass window was shattered in front of Chabad of Bushwick on Flushing Avenue, Rabbi Menachem Heller said. Heller said his family, including nine children, stays at the center on Shabbat. They saw two people walking away from the scene. Heller said they walked across the street. They asked people to call 911 and they flagged down police officers. The city has seen a sharp increase in reported hate crimes so far in 2019. Police had investigated 42 of the hate crimes through February 4th, compared with 19 at the same point last year. Most of those were anti-Semitic. But you haven't heard about those on the national news, have you? Because the only time you hear about anti-Semitic crime is when it's a Trump-supporting white supremacist or somebody you can pin on President Trump. That's when the media care about it. Again, let me give you the narrative in this country. The narrative in this country right now from the media and the left is exactly the narrative put out by Liz Plank, that the people who ought to be most worried in America about hate crime are Muslims and black folks and LGBTQ folks. Now, listen, everybody should be upset about any hate crime against any group. But statistically speaking, the group most likely per capita to be targeted are Jews. And no one talks about that unless it's a white supremacist, because it turns out that Jews are targeted by a wide variety of groups, including members of the intersectional pyramid who stack higher on that pyramid than Jews do. This is not according to me. This is according to the FBI. And by the way, the New York Times has admitted as much. The New York Times has admitted we don't cover hate crimes against Jews in New York City because it doesn't fit our narrative preconceptions. A couple of months ago, they ran a piece about the uptick in hate crimes in New York City against Jews. And they said, we don't cover this on the front page because there's no pattern to it. What they mean by that is there's no way we can pin it on Trump. So we're not going to cover it. Here are the FBI statistics from 2017 on federally reported hate crimes. A racial, ethnicity and ancestry bias. 48.6% were victims of crimes motivated by offenders anti-black or African-American bias. This is according to race, ethnicity, and ancestry. 17.1% were victims of anti-white bias. First of all, we actually have to determine how hate crimes are, are categorized because is it a racial motivation? Is it not a racial motivation? It's never, well, sometimes it's super easy. Sometimes it's not super easy to tell. In any case, blacks are targeted in outsized fashion for hate crimes. But you know who are really targeted in outside fashion for hate crimes? Religious bias. Of the 1,749 victims of anti-religious hate crimes, 58.1% were victims of crimes motivated by their offenders' anti-Jewish bias. 18.6% were victims of anti-Islamic Muslim bias. 4.3% were victims of anti-Catholic bias. So if you're going to look at actual hate crime statistics, what you would find is that Jews are disproportionately targeted more than any other group per capita. More than any other group per capita, except for perhaps gay people. It's very close between the two groups. The point that I'm making here is that America is a wildly philo-Semitic country. Thank God there are not that many hate crimes per capita in the United States. And yet we are supposed to be told that America is a deeply hateful, terrible place and Jussie Smollett shows it. So when Jussie Smollett turns out to be false, everybody is sad on the left. And Jews are targeted in this country at about the same per capita rate that gay people are targeted in this country. Maybe higher. And you know what? This is not an anti-Semitic country. It's not an anti-gay country. 
This is a magnificent country. It's a really tolerant, non-bigoted country. That doesn't mean there aren't scumbags out there. It doesn't mean there aren't evil human beings out there. Of course they are. But if you are super eager to buy into a narrative that promotes your group as a victim group in the United States, or that promotes the Trump supporters as a group of bigots and vile racists, maybe the problem is with you. Maybe the problem with the narrative is chiefly with you. In a second, we're going to get to President Trump's wall. First, let's talk about how you keep your house safer. The way you keep your house safer is with Ring. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. You might already know about their smart video doorbells and cameras that protect millions of people everywhere. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So if there's a package delivery or a surprise visitor, you're going to get an alert. You're going to be able to see, hear, and speak to them all from your phone. That is thanks to HD video and two-way audio features on Ring devices. I love our Ring. We have a Ring video device right on our front gate. And that means that anytime somebody rings the doorbell, doesn't matter where I am, I can pick up, I can see who it is, and they don't know whether I'm home or not. As a listener, you have a special offer on a Ring starter kit available right now. With a video doorbell and motion-activated floodlight cam, the starter kit has everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home. Just go to ring.com slash Ben. That's ring.com slash Ben. Go check it out right now. And that special offer is available on a Ring starter kit right now with that video doorbell and the motion-activated floodlight cam. Again, I've got this ring of security around my house. It makes my house safer. You should too. Go to ring.com slash Ben. That is ring.com slash Ben for the special deal. Ring.com slash Ben. All righty. In a second, I'm going to get to the continuing controversy over President Trump's wall. We'll get to more evidence that the media are wildly biased. There's a lot more coming, but you're going to have to go subscribe over at dailywire.com to get it live. And starting this week, we will be giving a shout out on this show to a different Daily Wire premium subscriber every single week. If you want to be featured, all you have to do is take a selfie, video, or GIF with your Leftist Tears Tumblr. Example, from right now, me, look, holding this Tumblr right now, staring into the camera. This would count, except it has to be your Tumblr. Post your Tumblr to Twitter or Instagram with the hashtag Leftist Tears Tumblr, hashtag Leftist Tears Tumblr, and your selfie might be featured on the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. So go do that right now. Also, It is almost time for our next episode of The Conversation. Tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, the execrable Michael Knowles will be taking your questions and answering them live on air. As always, the lovely Alicia Krause will be hosting and keeping Knowles in check. That episode is free for everyone to watch on Facebook and YouTube. Only subscribers can ask the questions. So once again, subscribe to get your questions answered by Michael Knowles if that's something you feel is necessary. Tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and join the conversation. Also, you should subscribe. We have so much good stuff. Two hours live every day later on in the day. And today we're going to be doing George Washington stuff and President's Day stuff. We're going to be having on more special guests. That's what we do here. Plus, when you subscribe, you get our Sunday special a day early. So you could have heard me talking with Daniel Crowdhammer, the son of the late Charles Crowdhammer, on Saturday instead of Sunday. All sorts of wonderful things happening when you subscribe. For $99 a year, you get the Leftist Tears Tumblr. Again, remember, if you get that and then you take a picture of yourself with the Leftist Tears Tumblr, you could be featured on The Ben Shapiro Show. So pretty awesome. You get that with your annual subscription. Go over to iTunes, YouTube, subscribe, leave us a review. We always appreciate it. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. And meanwhile, controversy continues over President Trump's border wall. Democrats continue to fringe themselves by claiming that all walls are bad. All they have to claim here is that President Trump's border wall is not the best expenditure of money. All they have to do is say, like, let's put up fencing in certain areas. We don't need a 2,000-mile border wall. Let's strengthen security at different points of entry. Let's let's work on a variety of other ways to, to shut down illegal immigration. Instead, Democrats have decided that they think because people don't like Trump generally, because Trump is not super popular, that that means that Americans are in favor of the most radical version of the open borders argument. This argument was presented by the venerable 
fresh-faced, so fresh, so face, AOC on Instagram over the weekend. She says that our border wall and the, and the wall Trump wants to build, it's just like the Berlin Wall, which makes perfect sense if you smacked your head on a stoop when you were three. No matter how you feel about, a, about the wall, you know, I think it's a moral abomination. I think it's like the Berlin Wall. Okay, if you think that a wall to keep people out is the same as a wall to keep people in, then that's just dumb. That is a dumb thing. It is a very dumb thing. This is like saying that the wall of your house is exactly like the wall of the local penitentiary. Except, except it isn't. The, the wall of the local jail is precisely created to keep criminals out of general society. The wall around your house is created to keep criminals out of your home. What, one wall is created to keep people in. The other is to cre- create to keep people out. Like, wh- why is this difficult in any way? I don't understand. If we were building a wall that were forcing people to stay in America, yeah, that's like the Berlin Wall. It turns out that people were not trying to get through the Berlin Wall from west to east Germany. They were trying to get through the Berlin Wall from east to west Germany. The Soviets were shooting people trying to leave east Germany. So when we start shooting people trying to leave America, by the way, that seems more in line with socialist thinking, right? Socialist thinking is that if you make a lot of money in the United States, then we should grab your money, force you to stay here, and then tax the living crap out of you. And if you try to leave, we should punish you. It's much more in line with left thinking to build walls that keep people in than with right thinking. Walls on the, walls on the right, for better or for worse, tend to be built to keep people out. Sometimes that's really bad. Sometimes it's not. Walls on the left tend to be built to keep people in. That is always really bad, invariably really bad. In any case, the wall continues to be a hot button issue. The Trump administration is not making the world's strongest case for the national emergency declaration that President Trump announced last Friday. Again, I don't think the president had to make that national emergency declaration. I think he had the capacity under 10 U.S.C. 284 to declare that there were drug corridors existing along the U.S.-Mexico border that required the building of additional fencing. He doesn't need to declare a national emergency to do that. Instead, he declared a national emergency. And that created a real problem for the administration because they now have to explain why this is not a wild violation of precedent. That any time you can't get a congressional deal on the table, you just declare a national emergency and then get the funding however you want. This is very much akin to Barack Obama not being able to get an immigration deal and then unilaterally declaring that he was not going to enforce immigration law. Chris Wallace made this very clear when he was interviewing Stephen Miller. He said, like, I'm going to need an instance of a president who declared a national emergency to redirect funding after failing to negotiate a deal with Congress. Can you name one case where a president has asked Congress for money, Congress has refused, and the president has then invoked national powers to get the money anyway? Well, this current situation... Yes or no, sir. The current situation pertains specifically to the military construction authority. I'm just asking, has there been a case where Congress asked for money for military construction, Congress said no, and he then... The meaning of the statute, Chris, is clear on its own terms. If you don't like the statute, or members of Congress don't like the statute... Would you agree the answer is no? There hasn't been a Okay, so what Miller is saying is not wrong, right? I mean, there is an arguable case that you can declare a national emergency and use these various methodologies in order to spend money on the border. That's arguable, at least. What Wallace is saying is is not arguable. What Wallace is saying is that there is not a history of presidents failing at congressional negotiation and then simply declaring a national emergency to get the the money that they want. So this is going to continue to be a hot button political issue. It'll be held up in court for sure. The chances that President Trump builds any substantial portion of the wall before his reelect effort in 2020 is extraordinarily low, especially because, as I mentioned last week, the budget that he signed itself on its own terms prohibits the spending of money outside of border wall in the Rio Grande Valley. So it's it's a real legal conundrum 
for the Trump administration. With that said, is it a political victory for the Trump administration? Certainly it is with, with Trump's base. And again, if Democrats continue to double down on all border walls are bad, that's going to be a problem for them. And Democrats are going to continue to double down on that because Democrats running in 2020 have to run to the left. This is why even Sherrod Brown, who's considered more moderate 2020 possible Democratic candidate, he was asked about tearing down existing wall. And the reason he was asked about this is because Beto O'Rourke from El Paso, dude, he was asked last week, if you don't like walls so much, why not tear down the wall between the United States and Mexico in El Paso, where you're from? And he said, well, maybe I will. You never know. And then he smoked out of a really large bong. Well, Sherrod Brown, the senator from Ohio, he was asked about this. He says, well, I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. And maybe I won't. I don't really know. Well, let's talk about it. Do you think the existing walls and fencing along the border should come down? ICE take a backseat to nobody in border security, and it's clear we've learned over time that we have the technology, helicopters, uh, border agents to make our country safe and to keep to keep illegal crossings at a minimum uh, without building a long wall. Uh, that's a decision that should be made in the whole context. You don't say, well, this congressman says take it down here. This congressman says build it mm -hmm. up there. You really want to look look more broadly. Than OK, that. that's what we call avoiding the question because he doesn't want to get on the wrong side of the AOC base. It's not just Sherrod Brown doing this routine. It's Kirsten Gillibrand. She of the thousand positions. She has never taken a position on any issue. And this issue is no exception. She was asked if she could support removing barriers. And here's what she had to say. A proposal from Beto O'Rourke to actually remove some of the existing wall. He was talking about El Paso, but the idea of dismantling some of the wall, good idea, bad idea? Well, I'd have to ask uh, folks in that part of the, uh, of the country to see whether the fencing that exists today is helpful or unhelpful. Um, but, you know, Democrats are not afraid of national security or border security. Um, Democrats have funded border security for decades. So I could look at it and see which part he means and why. And if it makes sense, I could support it. Okay, she took three positions in the space of 30 seconds right there. It's unbelievable. She, she's, she's gifted. I mean, I'll, I'll give her this. It's like, it's like, have you ever seen one of those films where there's a strobe light in the film and suddenly people are sort of flashing from one place to another? That's basically her on positions. She just kind of moves from position to position. In, that, in the space of that 30 seconds, she said, we can ask the locals. Also, we're great on border security. Also, maybe we should take down the wall. Kirsten Gillibrand, man. You got to you got to admire the the absolute confidence with which she says three conflicting things in the space of 30 seconds. But again, all Democrats are afraid of being outflanked on their left. And that is why they are embracing the Beto position that maybe maybe we should consider tearing down existing border walls, which is just insane. Meanwhile, on the campaign trail, every Democrat has decided to run directly to the left. Joe Biden went to Europe over the weekend and there he explained that America is actually an embarrassment. Which is weird, because weren't you VP like five minutes ago, dude? America, I see, values basic human decency. Not snatching children from their parents or turning our back on refugees at our border. Americans know that's not right. The American people understand, please, because it makes us embarrassing. The American people know overwhelmingly that that's not right. That's not who we are. Okay, that's not who we are is the most overused phrase in American politics, and it's really dumb. You know who we are, who we say we are, and what we do. That's what we are. This idea that it's not who we are. Well, again, when, you, when you're ripping Vice President Biden on removal of children from their parents, let's recall under whom that started. The president under whom you served. But one of the nice things about being a Democrat is the media will always cover for you. How in bed with the Democrats are the media? They are so in bed that a CNN reporter 
who's dedicated to covering Kamala Harris, was helping her try on sequined jackets at a recent campaign stop. This is tweeted out by CBS News. Here is, here's what it looked like. Oh, yeah. That's it. Okay, so there is Kamala Harris laughing with a CNN reporter named Maeve Reston. And Maeve Reston then tweeted out, Dear America, I will never apologize for encouraging a presidential candidate to try on a vintage rainbow sequin jacket. And then she put in a bunch of emojis, an American flag, a woman raising her hand, a rainbow, peace, hashtag 2020. You're not a campaign advisor or comms person for the candidate, lady. You're a reporter for CNN. Can you imagine any of the reporters for CNN doing something like this with Ted Cruz or Donald Trump on the campaign trail in 2016? You know, Mr. Cruz, would you like to try holding this AR-15 so we can get a great picture of you? Can you imagine any of that happening? Of course not. Of course not. Democrats are so in bed with the Democrats that they are openly doing this stuff. Is Maeve Reston going to be removed from that job? Of course not. Of course she will not be. She's an objective news reporter. So much journalisming happening. Unreal. But we're supposed to take the media very seriously. They have no agenda. Facts. That's all apples, not bananas. Fact over at CNN. You want to write people chant CNN sucks? That's why people chant CNN sucks. Meanwhile, in, in other media hilarity, the media are cheering on Democrats like AOC as they threw Amazon out of New York City. A full MSNBC panel over the weekend cheering all of these 25,000 lost jobs from Amazon because look at the strength of Democrats. They are so strong that they are actively alienating major businesses. People are learning from, well, Amazon has come and tech has come to my hometown, the Bay Area. It's been a great boon. Oh, look, income inequality, right? Oh, look, upper middle class people can't even afford houses in the Bay Area with a six-figure salary. So what's going to happen to our uh, like neck of the woods here in Queens where we, have, we need the jobs? Yes, fine, 25,000 jobs. What type of jobs, right? And is this going to phase out? different communities, communities of color. And I think these are the conversations, right, that people are now having. And in, let's say, the sheen of an Amazon or a Facebook or a Twitter, five, ten years ago, people were like, yes, come save us, our tech overlords from Silicon Valley. But now people are like, wait a second, we've seen what's happened in other places, and you have to talk to us because our interests are at stake. Except for the fact that a vast majority of people in New York City were very much in favor of Amazon coming. It was just a bunch of left politicians who were upset about it. I love when they say it's really bad that tech companies are coming here because it creates income inequality. You know what it creates? More income. More income. And just because some people are not going to be working for Amazon does not mean that it's bad for the community when a, when a giant job creator that generates enormous sums in taxpayer dollars and jobs and income enters your community. But Bill de Blasio has a column over at the New York Times. He also wants to run for president. He has an an opinion column today called The Path Amazon Rejected over at the New York Times. Now, recall that Bill de Blasio was one of the people who constructed the Amazon deal in the first place. Then when it turns out it was was unpopular with his own communist base, then he was like, "Ah, me? No. And then he just sort of disappeared into the bushes, backed slowly away into the bushes like Homer Simpson. He has a piece in the New York Times today in which he says that It turns out that New York did the right thing by alienating Amazon and rejecting his deal. He says, the first word I had that Amazon was about to scrap an agreement to bring 25,000 new jobs to New York City came an hour before it broke in the news on Thursday. The call was brief, and there was little explanation for the company's reversal. Just days before, I had counseled a senior Amazon executive about how they could win over some of their critics, meet with organized labor, start hiring public housing residents, invest in infrastructure and other community needs, show you care about fairness and creating opportunity for the working people of Long Island City. 
There is a clear path forward. Put simply, if you don't like a small but vocal group of New Yorkers questioning your company's intentions or integrity, prove them wrong. Instead, Amazon proved them right. Just two hours after a meeting with residents and community leaders to move this project forward, the company abruptly canceled it all. So in other words, de Blasio had offered them a bevy of benefits to come to New York. And then when they came to New York, he said, I need you also to do these other things, like um, give away half your benefits. Like I'm going to need you to build a bunch of public housing that we didn't negotiate for. We're going to need you also to negotiate with organized labor, which Amazon will not and has not done. We're going to need you to make all these concessions we never talked about before. Basically, New York City thought that they were Darth Vader talking to Lando Calrissian in The Empire Strikes Back. If the deal has changed, pray I do not change it further. Except the difference is that in this particular scenario, the only ones with the power of the dark side are the folks at Amazon. They get to walk away. They don't care. They're not going to negotiate with Bill de Blasio. Come on. But Bill de Blasio, he says, we did the right thing by alienating jobs. We stood for our principles. Well, that and five bucks will buy you an overpriced cup of coffee in New York City where people don't have jobs now because you decided to pressure a company that was attempting to move in. Bill de Blasio says the lesson here is that corporations can't ignore rising anger over economic inequality anymore. No, the real lesson is that if you use that anger over economic inequality to target all the job and tax producers, the tax producers and job creators are going to leave and they're not going to locate in your, in your place. That's, what, that's the real lesson of New York City. But New York doesn't want to recognize that because it would undercut Bill de Blasio's entire political modus operandi. All righty, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So today is President's Day. And a little bit later today, I'll be doing a full hour on the history of George Washington, utter badass. And tell you something about George Washington. George Washington was a stud. And I'm going to tell you a little bit later today, you should subscribe and check it out because I'm going to do a full hour on the history of George Washington, who like people think that they think of him as the guy with the wooden teeth and he looks kind of like your grandma on the dollar bill. George Washington was an utter and complete badass. I mean, it, really. So we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later today this is why you ought to subscribe. Go check that out. Over the weekend, I was also sitting around thinking about favorite TV scenes in history, just apropos of nothing. And one scene popped in my head. This is the funniest scene in the history of television. This is from the Mary Tyler Moore Show. So the setup for this scene is that Chuckles the Clown is a, is a character on a children's show, and he has died. And everybody throughout the episode is making jokes about the death of Chuckles the Clown. And Mary Tyler Moore keeps saying that it's not funny, that they should stop making jokes about the death of Chuckles the Clown. And then she goes to Chuckle the Clown's funeral. And here is what happens. Chuckles the Clown brought pleasure to millions. The characters he created will be remembered by children and adults alike. Peter Peanut. <laughs> Mr. Fee Five Four. <laughs> Billy Banana. <laughs> and my particular favorite, Aunt Yoo-Hoo. <laughs> <laughs> And not just, not just for the laughter that they provided. There was always some deeper meaning to whatever Chuckles did. <laughs> Do you remember Mr. Fee-Fi-Fo's little, little catchphrase? Do you remember how when his arch-rival, Senor Kaboom, <laughs> Hit him with a giant cucumber and knocked him down. <laughs> Mr. Fee Fi Fo would always pick himself up. <laughs> dust himself off and say, I hurt my foot. <laughs> <laughs> 
so it, great. It, it, Mary Tyler Moore was a great show, and and this is the best scene from Mary Tyler Moore. The whole scene is hysterically funny. Also, this happened to my actual dad. So one time my dad went to a funeral, and you know, will he like me telling the story? I'll tell it anyway. In any case, my dad went to a funeral. This must have been twenty five years ago, and it was for a relative. And it turns out that this this it was a, an old lady, and her son had been stealing her social security checks. And he'd been taking her social security checks from her mailbox and going and cashing them. So she and her son, needless to say, did not have a good relationship. Well, the person, as so often happens with funerals, who was giving the peroration over the body of the deceased was a person who had not known the person who died. This happens at a lot of funerals. You'll have the rabbi or the priest get up, the pastor, and they just got a little bit of background from the family before they got up and they gave a speech, which I, I never understand. It makes no sense to me. You should only have family do these things. Anyway, uh, the, the person who got up and was making the speech was talking about the relationship between the mother and her son who had been stealing her social security checks. And everything that the person, uh, the, the person giving the eulogy said was just vague enough that it could be taken in a couple of ways. They'd, he would say something like, you know, Fanny and her son, their relationship was indescribable. It was unbelievable. If someone told you about it, you simply wouldn't understand it. And my dad, about halfway through the funeral, just started losing it. He just started cracking up. And then his, his brother-in-law, who was there, they both started cracking up. And so my dad put his head, his, head, his head down in his hands while he was laughing so hard he was crying. And my mom put her arm around his shoulder as though my dad was actually crying over the whole thing. So if you've ever been to a funeral, I mean, it, it, that, that scene is great because there, there are a number of funerals you will go to in your life where the, the urge, it's so awkward and it's so horrible. The urge to laugh at a funeral is a very real thing. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So over the weekend, President Trump got mad at SNL again. Like, I don't know why he bothers to get mad at SNL. SNL has not been funny for legitimately years. The last time it was funny, I was in my teens. And yet, President Trump, it seems like every Saturday night, he gets mad at Saturday Night Live. I, I, I don't know the purpose of this. So he tweeted out, Nothing funny about tired Saturday Night Live on fake news NBC. Question is, how do the networks get away with these total Republican hit jobs without retribution? Likewise for many other shows. Very unfair and should be looked into. This is the real collusion. Capital C. Mr. President. Shh. No, just, just don't. Just don't. Like, what, what is the point of this? Did, are, now everybody's going to claim that you're trying to say that there should be retribution against SNL and that the media should be targeted. Listen, people despise the media enough as it is. They understand how bad the media are at their jobs. I spent this entire episode basically ripping on the insanity and gaslighting of the national news media. You don't have to do it, Mr. President. Like, if you're going to target them over something, make it not SNL. Like, honestly, it's just it's, it's a silly thing to do and there's no purpose to it. Now, other things that I hate over the weekend, Bill Maher, who on occasion is right, but when it comes to a great many issues, is wildly wrong. On his show, he was talking about Ilhan Omar, another one of the fresh faces of the Democratic Party. So fresh, so face. He says, I don't see any reason why we should see Ilhan Omar as anti-Semitic. I mean, like aside from her giant history of being an anti-Semite. There is a, <clears throat> a con new congresswoman, Ilhan Omar. She is Muslim, one of the uh, first two I think we have in Congress. And she's apologize. She's under a lot of fire because she was talking about the Jewish lobby, APAC, and she said it's all about the Benjamins. Now, I probably don't agree with her a lot about what she feels about Israel and Palestine, but I don't know why this has to be seen as anti-Semitic. Now, she may be anti-Semitic, but uh, if I criticize Saudi Arabia, that doesn't mean I'm Islamophobe. Okay, nobody suggests that just because she criticizes Israel, she's anti-Semitic. She stands against its existence. 
She stands against its existence, and she suggested openly that Jewish money is behind the American support for Israel. Okay, the, we went through this last week at length. All, uh, listen, I think Bill Maher is, is quite good on a great many issues. There are a lot of issues on which we disagree, and I've been on his show, and it was quite cordial, it was quite nice, but the lengths to which people seem to be willing to go to pretend that Ilhan Omar is not a longtime anti-Semite are in stark contrast to the same people, the same exact people suggesting the Trump supporters' broad writ are a bunch of racists. The evidence that Trump supporters are racist is significantly less than the evidence that Ilhan Omar is a raging anti-Semite. And that is obvious to anyone with half of a brain. All righty. Well, we will be back here a little bit later today with two additional hours, including my full breakdown on George Washington. We're going to tell the story of George Washington a little bit later today. So be there or be square. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey, everyone. It's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Jesse Smollett may be one of the luckiest black gay guys ever to live. He's the star of a hit show. He's got enormous talent. Why is he so desperate to be seen as a victim? We'll talk about it on The Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 